everyone, and welcome to the second listener-picked episode of Jollo of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, we will analyze the 1971 film The Fifth Chord and why cinematography and visual storytelling is so important within the Jolly subgenre. We will also talk about the extensive career of the legendary film composer Ennio Morricone. My guest today is a filmmaker, a musician, and the host of his very own pop culture podcast. Welcome back to Jollo of the Month Club, Wade Brown. Good to be here. I'm back. Wade, before we jump into the fifth chord, did you happen to watch anything interesting since the last time you were here? Boy, howdy, have I. I got a lot. I'll run through all of them pretty quickly. Um, Movie-wise, I watched uh, a Criterion film called Come and See. A lot of people have been talking about it. Real bummer. It's a real, real, real bummer. Uh, which Ari Aster loves it. That's yes. how you know it's a bummer. And uh, Mink and Dish Productions, we're doing a Criterion Connection this Wednesday, or it should be out by the time this podcast is out. Forward, come and see, so you can watch that. I also watched Galaxy Quest for the first time. Awesome movie. Fun. Show-wise, Hannibal. Same. You you were like, you got to watch Hannibal. I'm like, okay. And I binged it just in time for the Hannibal Reunion Zoom call. Which was so wholesome and amazing. Yeah. Matt, iPads. <laughs> iPads, Mickelson. Let's yeah. talk about Hannibal real quick. Yes, so please. So, I love Hannibal. If you haven't watched it, listeners, it's three seasons on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. It's also on Amazon Prime. Okay. And it has Mads Mickelson in it as Hannibal Lecter, and it's kind of a prequel to Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs. Really beautifully done. Brian Fuller, he is um, the creator of the show, and it's just it's just a really gorgeous visual show, which is perfect for the theme of this episode, which is visual storytelling. Yes. But Fifth Court does not have delicious meals that I would never eat. There is a Hannibal cookbook, which I need. Yeah. Um, how many human parts is needed for a lot of them? <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, so Hannibal's awesome. Uh, I do agree with some people the third season's a little... Uh, yeah, third the season there's a little but, all throughout. But it ends pretty strongly. Yes. And, yeah, I, Hannibal, I'm a big fan of Hannibal. <clears throat> yes, he made me a fanable. <laughs> uh, aside from that stuff, I've mostly, this weekend, been playing Paper Mario Origami King on Switch. Playing the hell out of that. I haven't played Paper Mario since Nintendo 64. There's like five games after the original Paper Mario. Hmm. But I only played the original and now this one. That's what I've been doing. I thought I'd share Is that a, little... a new game? It came out Friday. Okay. This past Friday, which was the 16th. Oh, I also watched The Fifth Chord. Yes. Me too. Oh, really? Let's talk about Thank it. My goodness. I just had a few more movies that I watched. Oh, yeah. Of course, I watched Hannibal, which is awesome. I haven't been watching a ton of stuff lately. I watched Sea Fever on Hulu, which is a new film that was playing festivals last year, but I did not get to see it. And it's sort of a pandemic... C-demic movie. C-demic. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag C-demic. <laughs> Very timely for the current uh, state of the world. Sea Fever, I would definitely recommend that. And as a double feature with that, The Beach House on Shudder. Yes. Yeah, it came out, I think, like last week on Shudder. is now available. So two good films to watch back to back. And if you want to do a little mini break in between, watch the new season of Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. There is an episode called Eight, like the number eight, Aquatic Car by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who created Spring and The Endless, and I'm a big fan of their work, and I believe you are as well, Wade. Yes. Um, so yeah, do Sea Fever, Twilight Zone, episode eight. It's called Eight. 
from the new season and the beach house that would be an awesome triple feature and i watched for the first time this is not horror but i really love this movie seven psychopaths from 2012 yes it was so much fun i had it had been on my watch list forever and i did not anticipate loving it as much as i did meta and funny and really great like blood splatter effects and all of the actors were great it's um christopher walken sam rockwell colin farrell and woody harrelson. yeah woody harrelson and a bunch of other <clears throat> actors and it was fantastic so seven psychopaths i watched that on prime video i thought i'm gonna say seven samurai <laughs> also a great film there if you also want to add if you want to do a quadruple feature for all those aquatic horror yeah little mermaid if you want to start off Little Mermaid, if you wanted to get, like, crazy, do, like, Little Mermaid first. Yes. Let's see the the order. It would probably be, like, Little Mermaid, Sea Fever. You have to end on Beach House. The eight, yeah, probably eight, and then the Beach House. <clears throat> you have to end on Beach House, definitely. Yeah, quadruple feature featuring the Little Mermaid. Yes, there you go. <laughs> we made that experience already awesome, but we made it even more awesome-er. Words. Uh, was the fifth core, was that an aquatic car film? Let's do a little bit of synopsis before we dive into. Please. All right. Dive. So that's a nice little <laughs> pun there. So the fifth core is not aquatic car, but it is about a journalist who finds himself on the trail of a murderer who's been targeting the people around him. And the police are also considering him a suspect. Yes. That's the very simple. Yeah. Because very simple summary. Why is this summary. guy getting involved? We're the police. <laughs> yeah. There will be spoilers in this episode if you would like to watch this movie before listening. The Fifth Court is available on Voodoo for free. And Arrow Video also has a really nice Blu-ray release of it. But if you want to watch it like right the second before you listen to the episode, Voodoo is the way to go. Yeah. Only right. on Voodoo. <laughs> Alright, spoiler warning. That was your spoiler warning. The Fifth Court begins with a creepy monologue from a killer promising to kill five people. The first half of the film stays relatively faithful to the original story, which is a novel of the same name. However, there is a change in tone and location from a Scottish middle-class setting to a more stylized modern Italy. We meet Andrea Bild. I cut on thinking his name was Bill. <laughs> the entire movie, so I've been no, calling him Bill. I think Bild is a like a German last name. So he has a an Italian first name, so Andrea and then Bild. Um, who's played by Franco Nero, down and out journalist with a taste for cheap girls and even cheaper bourbon. Mm, or J and B. He I loves J and B. I saw that. After a busy New Year's Eve party, one of the guests is mugged and sent to the hospital. The victim is convinced it was a murder attempt. Then, always on a Tuesday, there's a series of murders. At each crime scene, a leather glove is left with a finger cut off for each victim. I thought that was a really cool touch. Like, I hadn't seen that done before. Yes. The killer is confident enough to make taped confessions and <laughs> carries on seemingly to kill all of the people who attended the New Year's Eve party. As our main character, Bill, struggles to rebuild a past relationship and half-heartedly hold on to his job as a journalist, he takes on the task of clearing his name and catching the real murderer. So that's more of the spoiler, because there's a lot of details as far as, you know, when when the murders happen, who's being murdered. Pointed out while you were talking about the uh, five fingers with the glove. Also, the, the fact that it kills on Tuesdays, I thought that was, uh, that's a nice little touch I haven't seen in many films. 
Yeah, the alternate American title for this film was Evil Fingers, which is kind of corny, but it was named that because of the gloves. The title of the film, The Fifth Chord, it kind of makes sense because it refers to the five fingers being cut off of the gloves at the crime scenes. The original Italian title sort of gives away the third act plot point of the zodiac sign. The Italian translation translates to Black Day for the Ram or Black Day for the Aries. And that's interesting that you got me on the podcast because I am an Aries. I'm not going to murder you on a Tuesday, though. Don't worry. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. This was released in 1971, but America didn't get it till four years later in 1975. And the director had previously done two Jalo-esque films that were a little bit like on the outskirts of the Jalo world. So he made The Possessed and Footprints on the Moon. So they're not as straightforward Jalo as The Fifth Chord, but they are in that realm. Yes. I own The Possessed. Yeah, it's on Arrow, I believe. Yes, I have the Arrow edition of The Possessed. I have not watched it yet. That's a a possible Jalo of the Month Club episode. I personally find that the fifth chord is a lackluster story um, with above average visuals. I think that the story itself is not anything to write home about, but the film is a prime example of how cinematography and location can take an otherwise derivative film to the next level. Yes. I w- yeah, I, w- I agree with you. I was really... You know, the fans are going to have the pitchforks. Uh, I was not digging this one. I It was not really... I, I just could not really get that invested. I thought there was maybe uh, a few too many red herrings. Mm-hmm. It, it did have a lot of the classic Jalo tropes. Like, it has, like, creepy kid, leather gloves, mysterious phone calls. Misogynistic detective. Yeah, like, deviant sexuality... Uh, that random prostitution ring and, like, sex show, which was, like, yeah. very random, but you see that sometimes in Jolly. And then this was um, one of the more positive Jolly tropes that had the, a lot of POV shots. Yes. This is actually the first film that we've watched on this podcast that you start with the movie, you hear the killer. Yeah. You hear their motive. You hear their mindset. And also it starts on a fisheye lens, which I thought was a very interesting mm-hmm. choice. Uh, that leads into this weird dance so, club that looks like David Lynch would love. It's yeah, so weird. It's, it's the New Year's Eve party, but yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that fisheye lens because if you watch the very beginning of the film, it tells you who the killer is. Yes. Because there's the mirror shot at the end who that is the killer. I mean, you don't know it at that moment, but the motive is the real twist. And we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode, but them showing who the killer is so early on some people may notice some people may not notice but the real twist comes at the end yes it's not that that particular person is the killer it's why he's the killer yes speaking of the killer let's talk about the cast i noticed that a lot of the actors were like the who's who of jalo films did you notice that no well for one i spent the entire movie thinking that franco nero was the guy from short night of glass dolls which you can listen to on <laughs> anchor.fm slash jollo <laughs> <Jalo club. laughs> wait till you're choking thinking he's so funny i apologize if i cough here and there for some reason i'm drinking water and i'm coughing i don't know why so apologies but the and i'm not the only one that thinks that i've seen other comments saying that he looks like gene sorrell from short night of glass dolls which it's a compliment 
Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. You would know Franco Nero as Django in the original Django films, and he plays Andrea Bild, who is our lead actor. He's the mustache man. Yeah, he's the guy who's, like, on screen very often. He's on the cover art. Yeah. Yeah, the poster art, yeah. Yeah. The cool poster art. It's like, you could see definitely see Django. Kind of like, it has, it has, like, a Western feel to it. I looked up his filmography, and I saw that he was in John Wick 3. Really? And he's also in Django Unchained, which I had no idea, but I, it's been a very long time since I've that seen That sounds Django like a Tarantino Unchained. thing. Let's get Django the original in Django, Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah it's, um, <coughs> there's a bar scene, and he's talking to Jamie Foxx's character. He's sitting at the bar talking oh, to him. I haven't yeah. seen that movie in a long time, yeah, so I'm really long time. It. Yeah, um, and then we have Sylvia Monty as Helene. She is in A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. I liked her character, Helene. She's a real, like, trailblazer, a successful woman with, like, a very cool house. She plays a divorce character. At that moment in time when this film came out in 1971, divorce had only been legal in Italy for one year. So she is like, whoa, the trailblazer for divorcees. Wow. Next up, we have the character John Leibach. He's from uh, Perfume of the Lady in Black, which is also on Jolly of the Month Club a few episodes back. Yeah. (laughs) I did not do that on purpose. It's like a Hall of of Fame here. Yeah, I did not know all of these Jolly staples were in this movie. Uh, we have Rosella Falk as Sophia Benny. She's in Black Belly of the Tarantula. And we have Renato Romano as Dr. Richard Benny, who was in Bird with Crystal Plumage. Oh! Yep. Oh, yeah, he did look a little familiar. Um, and then we also had someone that was in Torso. Oh, so we have a lot of ground covered when it comes to the subgenre, which I just love. And I, I like watching these and seeing these little, these little connections made throughout the movies. To the more redeeming attributes of this otherwise... I would call it uninspiring film. Um, I mean, it's the cinematography and the location. I mean, it might seem uninspired now. Probably back in 1971, it wasn't. Right. <clears throat> but in 2020, with there's a podcast about Jalo films right now, we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Back in 1971, they probably didn't know what a podcast was. My point <laughs> is, now that we have so many Jalo films that you know have transcended and done this, done that, looking back, this one is not as memorable as the other ones but like you said that the camera work really shines one example is the tunnel the tunnel around the seven minute mark it's like i like the shadow i like how it's placed especially when the guy gets beat up with the pipe mm-hmm. like it just shadows silhouettes and it looks really cool the choices of shots are the shining thing about this movie yeah, I agree, and I really like that tunnel scene, and I'm a, a sucker for a metaphor when it comes to, like, cinematography, like, meaning something, and I think that a lot of the use of architecture and space, for example, the tunnel scene, a lot of different, like, doorways and stairwell shots, they emphasize, like, a stalking fe- feeling and, like, feeling like you're, like, stuck and you don't have anywhere to go, so I thought the opening scene was very effective, yes. so I agree. Frego Nero, you know, he might be the lead in this film, but I think that the real star is the cinematographer. His yes. name is Vittario Storaro. He was actually the cinematographer in Bird with a Crystal Plumage. So that was yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah. I see kind of a similar visual style. Another great scene, uh, which we have to point out, it's in the 20-minute mark. It's the bedridden woman. Yeah, so I love the interior of that room. You have, yes. like, floor-to-ceiling curtains and very, like, luscious setting. And we'll talk about the score, but this is... I will say any of Morricone's on this one is very jarring. He has different styles in this one. Like, this one's, like, intense organ music. 
And it works for the scene. I think I saw online somewhere. Someone asked the question. If she's bedridden, why is the phone not... Why is there not a phone next to her bed? Yeah. yeah why does she have to crawl? And I also, does she, not have, too easy. does she not have anything to help walk? Or? They could have solved that very <clears throat> easily by putting a phone there, but he had cut the phone cords. You know, ah, the phone line. Like, that's okay. how you solve that. Yeah. But... There was no phone, so yeah. yeah also, I, noticed that I have to point out mm-hmm. at 22 minutes 31 seconds, cat alert. Yes, cute cat. Yes, cute cat alert. Aww. I have to say that. We have the to bring best. it up. Yes. Second star of the show. Oh, yes. <laughs> the fluffy kitten. Yeah, and I don't I, think I need no animal deaths in this film, right? Thank gosh. About time. Yeah. I like, I will say that's a plus. The yeah. cinematography and visual storytelling, and no animals died. Yes. Love it. <laughs> um, and in regards to like a metaphor or, like theme when it comes to the storytelling there was definitely a theme of imprisonment and isolation because of all those blind shots you ever notice like a lot of the shots of the windows the horizontal blinds and no. it looks like he's like in a cage like Nero's character um, and then the mechanical blinds in Helene's house where the mechanical blinds like the kid hits the button and they come down no. like he's trapped it gives you that frantic feeling of just feeling like claustrophobic and trapped and I thought that it was like really interesting if you go back and take note of all of the shots where someone is by a window or in a room and there's blinds or shadows and it makes them look like they're inside of a cage I thought that was like a very subtle theme throughout the film yes another thing I noticed that was in the exterior shots I believe the city's supposed to be Rome. They never name it, but I, I think... Unnamed European Euro- city. Yeah, European city. No one really in the streets, which I know that it's probably because they were shooting a film. Yeah. But I definitely felt like the lack of people in the streets transcended to Bill's character being, like, lonely. Like, he just felt, like, isolated in the world. He just finds, like, modern life to be boring. So he'd rather just, like, drink and have sex with women because he's just, like, so bored with his lonely modern life. And then he gets involved in this case, and then it's like, oh my god, what's the movie? It's like Tenebrae a little bit where, like, the guy's gotta get involved. The author's gotta get involved yeah. in this. <laughs> All of the Argento <clears throat> films. Yes. Like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We gotta get involved in this. It's the classic trope of... We're so bored and feeling uninspired in our career and our love life yeah. that we need this serial killer also, to be found. Also, in the beginning, <laughs> he doesn't really view women the best. Like, he was like... I forget what the context was, but he remember. I remember he said to the woman, and he was like, you look like you don't have sex often or whatever, and you're like, What? Did he just say that? Yeah, he's a bit of an asshole. But I <clears throat> yeah. think he's good at playing an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I liked a lot of the lighting and colors in that bar scene at the party. Um, it really reminded me of all of the interiors from All the Colors of the Dark. And while I was doing a little bit of research on who worked on this film, I found out that the editor of The Fifth Chord was the same editor of All the Colors of the Dark. So I think oh. that has a... there's not It's not a coincidence that there's some similar shots between the two films. <clears throat> it sounds like this movie has a lot of tapestry that will branch out into the rest of the genre. Maybe that's why it's so important is because yeah. <clears throat> everything kind of starts here and br- uh, blossoms from there. Yeah, I got that feeling. I got that feeling where... Like I mentioned in the opening of this episode, this was the runner-up for the listener-picked episode. So I think that while the story may not be the most original story, the connections that it makes within the subgenre are very important, and that's why it gets a release on Arrow, and it's it has, a movie like, that, such a following. <clears throat> it's a movie that I like to say is a stepping stone, but, like, 
you gotta go to this movie to go to the yeah, next building yeah. block. That's why it's, yeah. it's like a fifth chord. It holds things together. That, like there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. No, okay, okay. I was about to say, please delete that joke. But no, keep it. Keep it for a history sake. <laughs> for history sake, I will. I will. I'll keep it as a stepping stone in podcasting. <laughs> Um, another scene that I really liked was the scene with the kid, who I thought he was great. Um, I couldn't find much information about him, the actual child actor himself, but it's the scene in, um, Helene's house. One, I freaking loved her house. It's just, like, pure Italian, mid-century modern, and I want to live there, especially that fireplace. Yes. Did you see that freaking fireplace? Amazing. In that scene where the child is being chased, or, you know, he's being stalked and he's about to be chased... There's so many clean lines. The house itself is very sterile, so you get that feeling that there is nowhere to hide. Like, yes, there's a child that lives in this house, but it's very much a house for adults in yeah. a very sterile environment where this kid has nowhere to hide, and yes. that's scary. The house itself was the same house from Argento's Four Flies and Gray Velvet and 1985's Autopsy. I love the symmetry and geometry within the spiral staircases. I don't know if you know much about zodiac signs or, like, astrology or anything like that, but the Aries sign is a ram. Yeah, the horns. Yeah, so there were a lot of spiral staircase oh. shots from above. Oh, that's so You get the feeling of um, they look like a ram's horn. So I, cool. there were at least two scenes that that happened where there was an overhead shot of the spiraling staircase I thought that was really, like, subtle and well done. I did like that the closing location was a bit less modern than the rest of the film because it's, like, a chase scene. It's the end. It's the climax. And it's in an industrial setting versus <clears throat> very is, clean, modern. Yeah, this was my that was my, probably my favorite part of the movie was that chase. That chase was great. <clears throat> yeah, and, and it was way and it was way different than yeah. the rest of the film, which I think it needed. I, I don't know if you could have really had that climax in a really clean modern <laughs> yeah. setting. Yeah, <laughs> I know there was another scene that you really liked. Oh, oh, can we talk about the scene finally? Yeah, the scene where I forget the character that he attacks, but Nero grabs a guy and starts slapping him. Something. Oh, he slaps the bejesus <laughs> out of him. Like, it was probably one I was laughing out loud so hard. It's just like, they just start slapping him, and it's so great. I, I, I'm sorry, it's so great. Especially, like, has this, like, this kind of, like... Franco Nero is really good in this movie. Has, has, has some great, like, we're talking about Morricone. Like, he has this, like, weird haunting kind of score, dissonant kind of score uh -huh. before this scene yeah, happens. Yeah. And it bleeds into this scene. And I'm just like, What? There's some interesting choices music-wise at times mm -hmm. uh, that works, like, really well. It, it shouldn't work, but it does. I guess that's the genius of uh, Morricone. Just yeah. Like, it shouldn't work like, they, 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 like the opera music playing with the bedridden girl. Like It's blasting. It's mm -hmm. not quiet. It's blasting. And that great, groovy, sexy kind of music at the New Year's party. Like, it just, yeah. <clears throat> it's a hodgepodge of different things, and it's interesting to watch, but that slap scene is by far the best scene <laughs> in the I entire agree. movie. I agree. I'm going to do another spoiler warning here, because we're going to get into the kills. We're going to talk about Extreme the kills. Extreme spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah, kills and <clears throat> the ending of the film. The film itself, the fifth chord, is around 92 minutes long. There are four kills by the killer, so that is around one kill every 23 minutes or so. 
You know how many kills there are, though, when you start watching the movie, because the killer says, I'm going to kill five people. Yeah, but not five, four. Four, right. Because the last one is interrupted by Bill's character. Yeah. And then there's a chase scene, and then um, instead of, like, killing the killer, the killer is taken into custody. The killer's pride is killed. Without going into super, super detail of the kills... Four kills total. One, is, The first one is the female with their crutches who is strangled and thrown down the stairs. Brutal. It was a quick strangulation, but there's a big thud when she yeah, hits. And I was like, oh my up. God. Speaking um, of the spiral. The next one is more of a natural death. It is the old man in the woods. The assassin is chasing him and induces a heart attack. So he dies from running. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it's sad, but can the killer take credit for that? He could have got it by walking the stairs the next day, you know? I'm going to take pride killer. I'm going to take pride in Yeah, I don't in know that. if he takes pride in it, but... Doesn't count. Was, I mean, I counted it as one of them. We cause... count it, but you shouldn't, <laughs> killer. Yeah, killer. And then we have the pretty brunette who's drowned in the tub. And that scene was kind of tricky because you have Bill's character going into the room and seeing it, and then he comes back out and, like, doesn't say shit about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he, gets, he gets in the car, and there's no conversation. Yeah. Just like, what? Nope. nope. <clears throat> but that, that also adds a little thing of, like, is he the killer? Right. Adds right. a little doubt. Or what was the girl doing, before his girlfriend doing, before she came over his house, right before they went to that room? Yeah. Like, was she there? Also, why is she wearing a wig? Because she's a Liza Minnelli fan. <laughs> she's like, I really like Lucille, too, even though Arrested Development has not come out yet. Uh, lastly, we have Julia, who is the red-headed young prostitute. She gets her throat slit in the woods, and that's a crazy one. That one is gnarly. God, that prostitute storyline. This one just really is, like throwing everything in the kitchen sink in. Yeah, the kitchen sink was you get the zo- in You get the Zodiac stuff, and then you get all the Jalo tropes, the motive at the end, which is thrown in, which is different from the book. Prostitute ring, the lady with in the wheelchair, and all kinds of stuff. Really going for it. Yeah. And that brings us to the ending of the film. The police have no clues, but Bill gets closer and closer to the truth. Police actually begin to suspect him. Um, his newspaper tries to take him off the story, and that's when he gets in a big argument with his boss. Yeah. Killer makes threatening phone calls. Creepy? Uh, yeah, like he's just, creep- the- he's just a creepy guy. I guess because the bird with- we just watched the bird with the crystal plumage, and I didn't know that this one also had creepy phone calls in it. And what's up with the creepy phone calls, man? What's your favorite scary movie? Speaking of that, not scary movie, but speaking of the creepy phone calls, I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO. It is a true crime series about the Golden State Killer. He makes creepy phone calls. I guess, yes, people were making creepy phone calls. Golden State Killer, big fan of Fifth Chord. That's a really good show, though. It's, It's really well done. I think three episodes are out so far. In the Fifth Chord, more people are killed. When the killer tries to kill a child, Bill intervenes. He catches the real killer red-handed. Got him. Guess who the killer is? Who? It's the guy in the beginning of the film that you see his reflection after those fisheye lens scenes. Oh, no! Um, His name's John Leibach. So the one that's, like, assaulted, he actually ends up being the killer. And the motive is... That he's in love with one of the characters that we see at the New Year's Eve party. 
But this is a trick because you see him glance at this couple dancing and the woman gives him a look. So you're thinking that John's character is infatuated with the female character when in fact he's infatuated with the male character. Surprise, he's gay. Cool. And he's in love with this guy. And now he's killing people. That's that's a, that's a love story. That's the twist. That's the classic love story there. <laughs> um, and it's the sex of the killer was changed from the book. So the book, the killer is female. Okay. In love with a man. But in this film, it's a man in love with a man. I wonder, is there a reason why they changed it? The director changed it? Or the screenwriter changed it? Well, at the time, there were a lot of female-fronted Jalo films, and the director wanted to change it. I did not know. know that. I mean, it's more progressive anyway. Yeah. In a lot of ways, as we have noted many times throughout this episode, this movie is so similar to Argento's films, and Argento is on the more progressive side when it comes to putting homosexuality and yes. transgender in his film, so I think that this director was trying to be a bit more He's, progressive. That's it. So this director has one of the first divorced characters and has a homosexual love uh, or fatuation, not love. Yeah. I don't think it loves the guy. Yeah. Infatuated with him in it. Too. I felt like it was like pigeonholed in there, though. Literally. I thought it was a little tacked on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I... it was an unnecessary twist just to be like, we have a twist! There are really no indications that that would be the motive or that would be the killer, except for in the very beginning. Yes, the twist was brilliant of the shot of him looking at the couple and like, no, he wasn't looking at her. He was really looking at him. It's like, brilliant, but Yes, it's brilliant, but they could have brought it around some other way in the story. They could have landed, they could have had a better, a softer landing. Right. On the ending. Yeah. Other than the cinematography and the visual storytelling, one of the best aspects of this film was the fantastic score by legendary composer... Who has recently passed away? Yes. Ennio Morricone. So, and, and, and that kind of inspired on why we were going to do this episode in the first place. Is one, it was a fan suggestion, but also like it was scored by uh, Morricone. So it's like let's do this as a fan suggested episode, but also a Morricone tribute. Yeah, exactly. Pay tribute and pay respects to someone who is a staple within the subgenre and cinema in general. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just. An iconic composer. Yeah, a full but life. But he had a, yeah, full life, a huge impact on cinema. Yeah, huge I mean, impact on music. Just a few of his movies. Um, you just... don't even, you can just say Morricone and like you know exactly who that is. Or you yeah. can say, oh, Morricone-esque and you know what that thing that you're describing is yes. like. Yes. Wade, since you are a musician yourself, I wanted to leave it to you as you sort of <laughs> sort of the expert for I um, say expert, but, this yeah. music themed episode. The only downside of Fifth Accord is I feel like his score isn't one of the biggest ones in this film. It's kind of all over the place. Not a knock on any of Morricone at all. It's more of, if you look at his past or his future like scores, this one's kind of like, eh, it's good. It gets the mood going for a lot of the scenes, but it's not iconic, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's also going to be a tribute kind of thing. Uh, what makes him special what makes him bigger than a lot of other composers it's jello films here's some jello films he has been on cat of nine tails uh short night of glass dolls which you catch on <laughs> anchor.fm slash jello club <laughs> what have you done to solange which is a movie that we have talked about bird in the crystal plumage black belly of the tarantula a movie called fifth chord never heard of it <laughs> um autopsy there's just so many right now not yeah hard. yeah 
And speaking of autopsy, which the house in autopsy is the house that's in the fifth chord. There are so many more connections with Morricone within the subgenre. The editor of the fifth chord was also the editor of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which oh. Morricone did this epic score of that one. <clears throat> yes. But I did try to do some research for Morricone. I found this interesting little article written by Dre DeMora from 2018. Uh, it's called Five Compositional Elements That Define the Music of Ennio Morricone. I added a sixth one to this because yes. I thought it has to be necessary to add the sixth one. Yeah. So number one, some of these are kind of... Eh, but they are staples of Morricone. Number one, pulse. Mm. His score has to have a pulse. A good example is the first song in this film has a pulse to it, mm-hmm. has a groove to it. The biggest example is probably the thing. The it's boom, a boom, great one. Boom, boom, which sounds like your theme is in now. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> sounds like Dream Division. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that 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 pulse to that. The second one is the human voice. He uses the human voice a lot. Navajo Joe's a good example. Bird with the crystal plumage is a mm-hmm. lot of singing to it. Yeah. Yes. Like that cre- <clears throat> like the kind of like creepy kiddish yes. singing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um he also does it in a lot of westerns too. Mostly Navajo Joe's a good example. Triads. A triad is basically uh, three note chords. So usually it's usually it's root note, third note, and fifth note in a scale. Mm-hmm. And they do a bang bang like a score. Like a score, like a chord, sorry, not a score. A chord. People are saying it's it's very similar to heavy metal, but I'm like heavy metal uses usually use power chords, which mm-hmm. are the root and fifth. So I it's it's very loose kind of. <laughs> uh, I don't even. I couldn't even tell Though, you. <laughs> Metallica does use uh, Morricone for their shows a lot. So Ooh, yeah, I love that. Uh, they do Ecstasy of Gold. Good example probably would be Cat of Nine Tails has a nice like dun 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 mm-hmm. that nice like chord changes, but usually they're triads. For sound design, sound effects, pretty much like acoustic instruments, or he uses an instrument in an interesting way for on screen action or just interesting choices. He does it in this. Yeah. Where you hear like these weird like little sounds in the score. Mm-hmm. Like, little yeah, like sound. a it's kinda of sound like he used like a um like a tool, like a metal yes. tool, yes. and he just like like a saw, I guess, like a yeah. saw, and just kind of like wiggled it, and it yeah. had that like kind of metal sound <clears throat> yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, another example, he does it. He does it in the most iconic thing he's ever done: the good band ugly, like the the whistle. Yeah, that's what like that that wow 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 is very interesting, and also ties into the human voice. Uh huh. The fifth one is guitar, which is obvious. Yeah. It also put note. Reverb and vibrato, very big. He's very big in vibrato, which is basically shaking a string, Mm -hmm. and reverb, which is echoey kind of Mm -hmm. atmosphere. Yeah. But my sixth one, he's a master at building up his score. A good example is like Hateful Eight. A lot of the stuff he does has like a simple melody, and it builds and builds and builds. But probably the biggest one of his, I think it's his masterpiece when it comes to his scores or his building up. Another example is like the Untouchables. Like he knows how to build up, especially with that stroller going down the stairs. But his masterwork is Ecstasy of Gold from Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. It builds up with that acoustic guitar. And then, you know, it builds up. And then it gets to the big crescendo where like you hear the choir and all that. So good. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Next <laughs> to you, I'm getting goosebumps. And. So good. I mean, he is a master. He was a master of what he, he's done. I mean, he. It makes me sad 
that we're not going to get any more scores from him. But, yeah. I mean, he has done so much just in general. Like, like here's, here's a small list of movies he has scored. He has scored The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time in America, A Few Dollars More, Fistful Dollars, The Untouchables, Days of Heaven, The Thing, and Hateful Eight. That is just some. That is like what a like a aspiring composer would just like. That's enough. Yeah. Just one of those. But he has done multiple and he will be missed. That was very educational, especially for me as someone who doesn't know the technical aspects of music. But it's very interesting to hear these special ingredients that were just like Morricone. It's his signature. Yeah. Just yeah. Like little things that make him, especially spaghetti westerns. Yeah. You know it's Morricone if you just listen to a spaghetti western. And even... Westerns afterwards copy what yeah. Ennio did. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Makes me want to just start, let's just start a sister podcast. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> Western of the Month Club. We can always do bonus episodes. Spaghetti of the Month Club. That sounds even disgusting. <laughs> spaghetti of the Month Club. That would yeah. be amazing. Could you and imagine? it's just spaghetti Western themed. Yeah. Or could you <gasps> imagine if it was actual spaghetti and you get it? <laughs> a special dish every month like you know well podcasts are like sponsored but it's by just like, like the noodles and real meals it's not it's not like a made made meal being sent to you it's just <laughs> the ingredients uh, amazing yeah Jell Month Club listeners, if you want spaghetti of the Month Club <laughs> bonus episodes, let us know. I am severely lacking with spaghetti westerns. Like I have not seen many westerns I've at seen, all. I'm real. I think I I think I seen Good, Bad, and Ugly like a, like once when I was a kid. I don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. I remember watching High Noon. That was the most recent western I ever watched. No wait. Yeah. Remember when Ty West made a western a few years ago? I think that? it was Ethan Hawke. Oh, what was it called? It had in John the Valley Travolta in of it. Violence. Yes. No, I saw it. Okay, yeah. that, was, that was the last movie I watched. That was the last one. <laughs> I did see that one. In the Valley of Violence. Do you have any flavors of the month with the theme of, I guess we're just paying respects to Morricone this episode. Yeah, I couldn't really find a Tales from the Crypt episode to match this. I, I'm just going to say a Morricone thing because I'm looking at it right now. The Waxwork Records uh, release of The Thing. Ooh, I got Vinyl. that one. Yeah, <clears throat> I got the. I think you I got, got the set, right? I got the set that comes with the John Carpenter score and the Ennio Morricone score, and the Morricone score is Chef's Kiss. I have them separately, but oh, it's okay. the same ones, just different packaging. Okay. I'm not really sure why I did. There was a reason why I did that. Um, I think because the set was probably the set box is probably sold out. They sold the I, yeah, separately. yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that was it. That the set, which is gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. that waxwork set is, <clears throat> yeah. oh, so, so nice. So check out waxwork um, records. <laughs> yeah, the th- the Thing soundtrack is awesome. They also have some uh, uh, Italian horror, like Phenomena's in it. Deep Red has mm-hmm. one. How about yours? What's your flavor of the month? Mine's very similar. It is also a record. <laughs> 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 very music-themed flavor of the month. My flavor of the month with the theme of Morricone is the new Ennio Morricone compilation from Rustblade Records. It's called Giallo Criminale. This compilation highlights the more dramatic, frenetic, and tense musical aspects of Morricone's career. While the record title is a bit misleading with Giallo in the title as the album only contains a few songs from actual Jolly, 
I do think it's worth a purchase. So the few songs that are jolly that are on the album are from Cat of Nine Tales, which you mentioned, and Short Night of Glass Dolls, which you mentioned, which are some of, you know, his more popular jolly Well, anchor.fm slash jolly club, you can watch the Short Night of Glass Dolls. That's three, it's a three for Listen. That's a triad. That's a triad of plugs for your podcast. Are you podcast. plugging my podcast on my podcast? Yes, I am. Okay. In case you want to listen to this podcast and you just randomly stepped into this world. Short Night of Glass Dolls was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, just yeah. FYI. Yeah, I, 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 like re- I love the perspective that that movie's from. I loved um, not Franco Nero in that lead role. Franco Nero is great, in the, not in that role. <laughs> the <laughs> Jalo Criminal record from Rust Blade Records is limited to 499 copies, and it is a record store day 2020 release. So contact your local record store and see if they have it. It's a brand new, within the last month or so, release. Great Morricone compilation. Wade, do you have anything to plug or promote for this episode? <clears throat> yes, I do. Well, first of all, you can always follow me on Instagram at Suede Guy. You're killing it with the record. I mostly post. post for, I mostly post vinyl records or tattoos or some wild, wacky adventure I'm on. But mostly records. I've been kind of being more since quarantine. I mean, like I'm gonna really start doing it, like some yeah more, more active record, with the records, more record listening because I'm at the house working. So I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll just listen to a record. I guess <laughs> while working. Also, Letterbox Suede MCP. Follow me on Letterbox. I mean, it's getting some followers lately, and I enjoy it. And I love logging stuff on Letterbox. Big things, youtube.com slash make this productions. I plugged earlier, we're doing Criterion Connection. We, it's basically a similar show to this, but we talk about Criterion films with this. You were on the show recently. Very short. You were on the show recently. We did uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire. Yeah. Watch that if you haven't already yes. on YouTube. Yes. Uh, Mink and Dish Productions YouTube. Yes. And yeah. also we have uh, B-Movie Dan, which we've, we did Mr. No Legs for 4th of <laughs> July. Gary watched it. It was weird. And uh, we have the short films, you know... Laugh Till You Die, which I plugged on the previous episodes this year. I got another, it's an official selection for Shockstop, uh, which is in August, I believe. I believe it's London, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on there. So that's like our sixth selection or semi-finalist, whatever. It's for sixth Laurel. Yeah, like that. I'm running out of room to put laurels on this poster <laughs> now. And last thing, the promotions is music. I might as well promote my band, Meteor King. We announced that we have canceled all of our shows for the rest of the year because of the pandemic. We're also mm-hmm. responsible humans. <clears throat> but we are working on a new record. Uh, hopefully it'll be out early next year. But you can check out our previous three records on Spotify. Also, we have a band camp, meteorking.bandcamp.com. We're hard punk, if you like hard punk or punk in general. That's what we do. Bunch of punks. Bunch of punks. <laughs> awesome. We hit chords. Fifth chords. So, Diana, do you have anything to plug on your own podcast? <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. You know it. Jolly Month Club's logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Matt's Etsy shop at Retirement Fund. He has a bunch of patches for sale, horror-related, non-horror-related. A dollar each. Support Retirement Fund on Etsy. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Speaking of records, Stream Division just had a new record come out, and 
he has created his own record label, so that's, like, really cool. And all the information is on the Bandcamp and on his Instagram, so I'm check that out. Salty, because the vinyl sold out. Yeah, I'm the very vinyl. salty. But I'm salty as well. So we are both very salty that we did not get the new record release because they sold out in, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's our intro and outro music is by Dream Division. <laughs> Um, you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at DianaNK. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. And if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. You also some sweet-ass pins. Thanks for bringing that up. How did yeah. I forget that? So we have the new spicy Jollo mustard pin, which is a 2.25-inch oh. pin back button. All of the information is on Instagram. We also still have pin set which comes with a spicy Jollo mustard pin, the classic narrow pin, which is the classic black logo pin, and also the limited edition pride pin, which I have a few more of those left. All of the pin packs and all of the individual pins come with a Jollo Month Club sticker and a mystery horror movie poster sticker as well. It's a mystery. The spicy mustard pin's great. I might put it on my sandwich. <laughs> I might have to go to the hospital afterwards because I've been poked in the mouth too many times by a pin. But go check it's it out. It's a good pen. It's a good pen. $2 shipped within the U.S. All the other smaller pens are $1 shipped within the U.S. And then, of course, you can buy all three. If you're international, please message or email Club at gmail.com. And I will work out shipping. I just want everyone that's international to message me first because shipping has been taking a really long time with COVID. And I just want to make sure that... Everyone knows what the estimated ship time is if they are outside of the U.S. Thank you so much for your support, but let me know if you want to buy a pen before you actually pay me for the pen. Boom! That's another episode. Boom! We did it. I do know that you have a one-year anniversary for this podcast coming up, so if you have suggestions that are awesome, epic for a year anniversary, Mm -hmm. make them. It's coming up soon. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for your support. As always, I'm your host, Diana, and my guest host is... Wade. Bye, everyone. Ciao.